Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Santa Anita Park. And if we're talking Santa Anita, we're talking about live money contests. Live money handicapping contests return to Santa Anita Park for the winter meet. Contests can be played on track at Santa Anita or online with Express Bet. Contests will offer cash prizes and entries into the major tournaments like the National Horse Players Championship and the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Best of all, Santa Anita and Express Bet offer handicapping contests for any budget with tournaments that start with buy-ins as low as $40. For complete information about the live money handicapping contests at Santa Anita, visit santaanita.com slash contests. That is santaanita.com slash contests now on to episode 101 what's happening welcome into the matt bernier show part of the in the money media network my name is matt bernier you can follow me on twitter at bernier underscore matt today is monday january the 31st 2022 this is episode 101 of the pod however you listen thank you for doing so you can find the show anywhere you listen to your podcast for the most part apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud in the money podcast.com you can also find a video version over on youtube search bar matt bernier show you will get this episode along with the 100 prior and as always, wherever or however you listen to this thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to myself and everyone over with In The Money Media. This week's show, we're going to talk about the Pegasus World Cup and the World Cup turf. Just got back from Gulfstream yesterday. I think we saw a couple of big performances. We'll talk about both of those. We'll also recap a Derby prep and a Oaks prep, both of them coming from Oaklawn Park over the weekend, the Southwest and the Martha Washington. And we'll wrap up this week's show looking back at the projections from this past weekend with the NFL Conference Championship game, see how we fared. Some of them were very good, some of them were slightly off, but no big deal, no harm, no foul. I'm not going to get into the Super Bowl much here. If you follow me on Twitter, you can see that I've already put out an early projection and barring any kind of major injury or storyline that pops up over the next two weeks, that number probably won't change dramatically, uh, but we'll get into a proper projection and going into the players next week on next week's show so uh without further ado let's start talking about the world cup and the world cup turf i'm not going to show replays of those two i will show replays of the two oaklawn races the derby and oaks preps but as far as these two races are concerned you can find them over on nbc sports channel you can find them uh a youtube channel i should say you can find them if you stream your replays from any of the services that are out there or your adw Let's start with the dirt race. Life is good, trounces the field, really never gives anybody a chance in here. And it was the one thing that I was selfishly hopeful for because I I fancied life is good in here. I thought he was the better horse. I've made no bones about that over the past handful of months that I think he would have won the Kentucky Derby. I thought he would have won the Breeders' Cup Classic. I just think he's the best horse, period. I love that Errat Ortiz Jr. just went and said, you know what, We're we're not even gonna think about it. And Todd Pletcher didn't, outwardly say it in some of the pre-race stuff with Nick and Britt, but he more or less alluded to the fact that we're not going to take away his speed. That's his game. We're going to break and we're going to roll. Now, I don't know if I verbalized it on the show or not, but depending on what you look at from a fig standpoint and a product standpoint, really life is good was not just faster early on than Nick's go. He was considerably faster. And if that ended up being the case, and I did mention this piece, if life is good gets in front of Nick's go, I think the race is over. And more or less, that's how it played out. Now, if you want to go through and question, I've seen enough people questioning the ride 
from Rosario on Nixco. I don't think he did anything wrong there. I just don't think the horse was particularly quick out of the gate. And it reminds me a little bit of the Saudi Cup from last year in that he's he's a fast horse, but he's not a brilliantly fast horse, especially early. I think that's the critical part. Um, I, I did a quick piece on Nick Luck's podcast yesterday, Nick Luck Daily. You can listen to that in themoneymedia.com and anywhere else you listen to Nick's show. The Timeform US had really many of Nick's goes splits comparable to what he typically does. The difference is he ran into a horse that was much faster than him early on, and life is good never stopped. Now, if you want to bring up that he was sort of out in the middle of the racetrack, and look, I acknowledge that coming out of that San Felipe last year and thought that was possibly a red flag. I think the difference here is he was drifting out badly in the lane in the San Felipe, and here this just kind of seemed like what he wanted to do, and Arad wasn't going to fight him. Kept him five, four or five paths down the backside. He moved down a little bit closer to the rail, rounding the turn, and then back out to the three or four path as they came down the lane. When I first watched the race live, I thought, oh, he's getting a little bit tired at the end, a little leg weary. He did go fast. Um, but then again, you go through and you look and see what the rest of the field did in those splits. I mean, he really ran a very complete race. And it makes me even more think that there's no real limitation for this horse. Um, I'm pulling up some past performances and some charts in the Racing Forms Formulator product. Uh, When you look at the incremental splits, and again, take it a little bit with a grain of salt because Gulfstream's been an absolute house of horrors as far as timing is concerned. Never mind the turf where there just aren't fractions anymore. But when you look at how Life is Good ran and Nick's Go ran. Life is Good was three, two to three lengths faster than Nick's Go out of the gate in the first quarter mile of the race. That's an enormous number in a race that it felt like the two of them were going to hook up. And truth be told, the fact that Stiletto Boy outfooted Nick's Go early on, that was when I looked at it and said, I mean, Nick's Go's got no shot now. You're going to need life is good to absolutely drop anchor for the final eighth of a mile, which there was no indication he was ever going to do that for Nick's go to have any chance. And Nick's go will, well, we'll get into him a little bit more. Life is good runs two lengths faster in the opening quarter than Nick's go another length faster in that second quarter. And then another length faster in that third quarter or in the fourth quarter let's call it the second half mile so i mean you're there's your gap right there there's no way nixco is going to be able to run him down from there and i I don't think it was a an error in tactics from rosario i just don't think the horse was as fast as some of these others specifically life is good and and the fact that stiletto boy outfooted him early i think that speaks volumes about stiletto boy actually we'll talk about him a little bit more as well Down the lane, when I mentioned I thought maybe Life is Good was getting a little bit tired, to put things in perspective, he still came home in 1371, according to Formulator. When you compare that to Nick's Ghost, Stiletto Boy, and Sir Winston, who were the only horses who finished faster than he did, Nick's Ghost came home in 13.5. Stiletto Boy and Sir Winston came home in 1365. So... Again, it's the same logic with with turf racing that I've brought up in the past. If you have a five-length lead on someone else 
who may have an excellent turn of foot, but they can only make up two or three lengths worth of that five-length gap down the lane. I, I mean, the race is over, period. And I know it sounds like I'm stating the obvious, but that's why speed is so vital and so dangerous, specifically in the United States, but worldwide. Horses that can be on or pressing the pace and still finish are going to win much more often than not. And life is good appears to have that ability. Now, we didn't learn if he can pass anyone. But given the way he ran, who's going to outfoot him early? Unless you have someone quarter horsed out of the gate. I just don't... I, he's in a... He's in a. I don't want to call it an advantageous position. But he is in a position where right now, I'm having a difficult time seeing anyone beating him. And I know Flightline is out there. And the, the word is that he's going to run in the San Carlos. And I, I will be stunned if you get more than two horses to run against him. Uh, you're not going to have a walkover, but, I mean, you're going to have a three-horse field. You'll learn absolutely nothing about flight line in that race. Uh, if they go head-to-head -head at any point, life is good is going to start in front of flight line. And I don't see him stopping. So, tactically... Life is good is always going to have the upper hand on anyone he runs against unless you get a horse that is just like a jackrabbit out of the gate. And I don't, who is that going long? If you know, let me know on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on YouTube. I don't, I don't know anyone who can route and go that fast and have anything left in the tank at the end. I think he is in another, I, I, I think he's a special horse. I've, again, I, I'm kind of, echoing and, and just repeating myself. I, I've thought this for the past year now, almost a full year, because this is really when he burst onto the scene. But he's, he is it, man. Now, Nick's go. Look, he showed a little bit of metal to end up. Oh, and by the way, I had speculated to some people, and I'm going to take a victory lap on this one. I'd speculated to some people that life is good might actually be the favorite when all was said and done. He went off at eight to 10. Nick's go went off at nine to 10. I was correct. Yes. Patting myself on the back. Nick's go. He actually ran better than I thought he would when he ended up in that position that he was early on. I really thought there was a scenario in which he was going to totally pack it in, finish fifth, and it was going to be, he was going to go out on a sour note. He didn't. He fought on. He ran a, a very respectable race. Uh, the buyer associates, by the way, Life is good, a 110 buyer. Nick's go, a 105. Stiletto boy, a 104. They're the only three I'm going to talk about. Timeform US had the race faster than that. Uh, Timeform US pace adjusted numbers had standby. Uh, life is good at a 134. Standby, loading. Nick's go at a 129. Stiletto boy at a 127. The reason this is one of the most intriguing pieces to me is it very clearly suggests that life is good ran the best race of his life. Nick's go. If you go back to, let's say, well, let's go to the Pegasus last year. No, let's go to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile from 2020. 129, these are pace-adjusted numbers for time form. 133 in the Pegasus World Cup. I'm not going to even talk about the Met Mile. Comes back in the Cornhusker, a 136. He comes back in the Whitney, a 130. He comes back in the race at Churchill, the Lucas Classic, a 130. Breeders' Cup Classic, a 133 with a soft pace, and he rounds out his career with a 129. 
He's a remarkably consistent horse. And he was consistent again here. The problem is he ran into a better horse. Point blank, end of story. He is still going to be probably an underrated horse, but, 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 I can't help but acknowledge that he won 10 times in his life and all 10 times came when he was on the lead. He never once passed a horse en route to victory. And that, that makes me look at him slightly less. I'm not trying to say that he was a bum, but I, I just, it, it takes you down a notch. It does. Because you never proved that you could overcome a scenario in which you didn't have it go all your own way. Very good horse. He's not a Hall of Fame horse, but his credentials are legit. Pegasus World Cup, a two-time Breeders' Cup winner, a Whitney winner. You know, I mean, he, he won some big races. And now he is out of the division. He is off to, I believe, TaylorMade. Correct me if I'm wrong. I apologize if I am, but I'm pretty sure it's TaylorMade. And you know what? We'll see what happens with him as a stallion. The pleasant surprise of the race, and I know I'm going on quite a bit about this, this race in just the top three, but they're the only three I really care about. I think Stiletto Boy... And yes, I, I I picked him when I gave out the Superfecta. I said 1-4 with 1-4, with, and we're going to key Stiletto Boy in third and fourth. The three to run third, all in fourth, all in third, the three to run fourth. This is, I didn't expect him to run as well as he did, but I'm not surprised that he ran as well as he did. Because this is a horse that if you go through his route races on dirt, He's a pretty damn good horse. Now, is he ever going to beat life as good? No. And if I were Ed Moger and company, I'm avoiding him at all costs until the Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland. But there's no reason that Stiletto Boy can't win grade 1s, grade 2s. He earned a 127 pace adjusted time form US number. He earned a 104 buyer. I mean, th this is a horse that if I'm involved with him, my immediate thought, and I haven't read anything, somebody can, you know, again, flag it if I've missed it. Uh, I am immediately thinking, not Dubai, not the Saudi Cup. I'm immediately thinking the big cap. Santa Anita handicap, beginning of March, gives him roughly five-ish weeks, mile and a quarter. I don't think that's going to be an issue for Stiletto Boy. And you're probably going to be the favorite. Who, who else off the top of my head? I, I can't think of... Who are you afraid of? You proved that you belong. Maybe you don't belong in the conversation with life is good, but life is good's an anomaly. He's an outlier. Beyond that, who are you afraid of? I, I think Stiletto Boy's a very good horse. He's underrated. Maybe this this you know opens some eyes, but I think he's going to be a big time player in really any race that life is good's not in. I like especially the fact that he broke as sharp as he did. That, to me, suggests he is continuing to improve. The, the Malibu, don't hold it against him. I don't think he's a one-turn horse and he ran in a flight line. I mean, he was only beaten four and a quarter lengths by Life is Good, and granted, Irad Ortiz was petting Life is Good for the final eighth of a mile. Stiletto Boy is a good horse, and he is going to be a player in some of these big races. If I were involved with him, I would... There's no doubt in my mind. I know the money is tempting for both the Saudi Cup and Dubai for the World Cup. 
the, the only race I would be looking at is the big cap. Mile and a quarter, grade one, you're going to be the favorite there. And I don't know what the purse for the big cap is anymore at this point, but I, I, that would be the only place I would be looking with that horse. So to wrap up the World Cup, the Pegasus World Cup, I should say, Life is Good is far and away, in my opinion, the best horse routing on dirt and arguably period. If you want to throw Flightline's name in there, that's fine. I'm not going to truly argue because on numbers, Flightline is faster than life is good. Flightline's also run three times and really, in the grand scheme of things, had many things go his way. That that Malibu was a fantastic race. I, I'm not trying to... He beat handily beat Stiletto Boy. And I'm here talking about him thinking he should be the favorite in the big cap. I, I got to see more. I got to see him run more than three times. And I got to see him stretch out in distance. It bothers me that they're going to stick to seven furlongs with him. I want to see two turns. Unless you think he's just a sprinter. Maybe he is. But I, I've i maintained. Go back to the pod that I recorded following his allowance race at Del Mar over the summer. He said, I think he wants to go longer. He's doing this despite or in spite of the fact that he is actually a router. It's the same reason I fell in love with Life is Good. Not even early on when he was earning the figs he did as a three-year-old when he outfooted Jackie's warrior in the Jerkins. He outfooted the best sprinter in the country doing something he doesn't really want to do. He's a route horse. And these are things that, folks, I keep your eyes peeled for those sort of things because they, they can, I think, be very, they can be very telling. When you see horses do things they don't really want to do, but they're still either winning or very competitive against horses that they're doing what they want to do, that's the sign of a truly good horse. And when I, and I say truly good, I mean in that rarefied air. Horses that can do things and succeed despite the fact that that's not really what they want to do. There are many examples. If you're curious, you know, again, leave the comment beneath the video player on YouTube. I can go into it more next week. But I think life is good to special talent. Nick's go, tip of the cap. Great career. Go enjoy stud duty. And Stiletto Boy, don't don't sleep on him this year in, in many of the big races. I think he's going to be a legitimate threat for a grade one at some point, assuming life is good is not in the same race. Because if he is, he ain't going to win. Life is good wins the Pegasus World Cup. Sounds like possibly the Dubai World Cup is next for him. Pegasus World Cup turf. I'm not going to talk nearly as long about this race as I did the dirt race simply because I don't think there's really a great deal to discuss. Colonel Liam was the best horse going into it. If you had any concern, it was probably the layoff, but we alluded to it on the show that you know Todd is as good as anyone at having horses ready to roll off of this type of lengthy layoff. Uh, and he gets the job done. He beats Never Surprised, who I thought ran valiantly. Um, I just think Colonel Liam's a better horse than Never Surprised. Doesn't mean Never Surprised isn't going to be a player in some of the bigger races over the course of the year because that speed that he's gotten for him to not pack it in I think is really important and I think it just goes to show that he is truly a good racehorse it's not a matter of you know this is a decent field maybe not an all-star field but this is a good enough field and he almost beat his uncoupled stable mate he only finished a length behind him so I think never surprises one you want to keep an eye on Colonel Liam for all the obvious reasons uh, he was right there with domestic spending last year until he went off form. And then they gave him some time and good on the connections for saying, you know what? There's no sense in us just running for the sake of running. We got a good horse. 
Let's give him some time. Let's freshen him up and let's have him ready to roll as a five-year-old. So uh, Colonel Liam is, maybe he's not the horse to beat in the division. I still think that is domestic spending. The one horse, well, there's two horses, I guess, that you can keep an eye on out of this race outside of the top two. One of them, Sacred Life. He did have a miserable trip, but to me, Sacred Life is Sacred Life. And he just more often than not drops decisions at short prices for whatever reason. He's just not my cup of tea. I got burned by him a few times early on when he came here. He's just not my kind of horse. Another horse that really has never been my kind, but watching the tape, I really liked what I saw, is Space Traveler. Now, I it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, he got a bad ride. He was down on the inside, turf racing, especially with the Europeans. I understand that as well. Jamie Spencer rode. The idea is save every inch of ground, Wait for a seam, bang. He saved every inch of ground, but he was he checked early on going into the first turn. And then rounding the far turn, he's loaded. He's got to wait, wait, wait. He eventually shoots back down to the inside behind a wall of horses and finishes with a flurry. The reason I'm higher on this horse than I ever have been, despite the fact that he's done this in a few instances in the past, this was his first start in blinkers. I'm not saying he's going to win a Breeders' Cup race, but I think this horse is, I'm not going to call him sneaky, but I think this horse can win a grade one or a group one here in the States. I, I, I do, and I don't know if it's going to be at Keeneland, let's say, in the spring. I don't know that you want to send him out to Santa Anita for a race like the Kill Row, but, but this, I think this horse is capable of winning a grade one here. I've never thought that before. For me, this was the most impressive race he's run in the United States. And I know he ran decently enough over in Europe when he was there. Uh, but I I think Space Traveler is one you want to possibly keep an eye on going forward because this, to me, was a significant step forward as far as his form is concerned. If you have any thoughts about either of the Pegasus races, and now I didn't mention arguably the best performance of the day from Regal Glory, in the Philly and Mare turf. If you have any opinions about Saturday racing, let's say, from Gulfstream Park, leave them beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's transition into two prep races, one for the Kentucky Derby, one for the Kentucky Oaks, both of them coming from Oaklawn Park this weekend, the Southwest and the Martha Washington. Southwest Stakes from Oaklawn Park. This is a race that, uh, again, I don't really have a great deal to talk about other than the winner. The winner was New Grange, trained by Bob Baffer. We're going to let the tape roll. He is the number 10. You can see him in the Starlight Silks. He is going to be forwardly placed, chasing a fast pace, and he'll eventually look like he's in some deep water down the backside and even rounding the far turn. We'll talk about that more when we get there, though. You can see at this point, you're going to see the opening quarter come rolling through. It's going to be 23. The half is going to be rather swift and 46 and change. I think this is, to me, the ultimate race, if you remember, I, I liked what I saw from him in his last start. I think this is a horse that encountered some things for the first time in his career and didn't really know what the hell was going on. And when the real running began, he said, what, what's the deal here? And then when Johnny got into him, I think he finally figured it out and kind of the class prevailed, for lack of a better phrase. I think this is a talented racehorse, and I say 46. I'm sorry, it was 47 and one. Timeform US did have this as a fast pace, though, and you're going to note that the only piece close to the pace that sticks around at the end 
is actually this very horse. So I, I thought all things considered, this part right now, I can understand anybody that's looking at him going, ooh, he's not picking his feet up. Do you remember when I made the comparison to Authentic? I said, I don't, I think he's, you know, maybe he's not quite as goofy as Authentic was. I don't think he's goofy. I think he's green though. You see, Johnny's really having to get after him to, you know, pick your feet up, bud. We still got some work to do. I love the fact though, that down the lane, he levels off and extends and kicks away from this field. I, I think this is a, a sign of an improving horse, one that doesn't really know what his job is just yet. But for him in his third lifetime start to ship out of town, to run at a new track, be close to a pace that more or less melts down and still be able to finish the way that he does, I think New Grange is very good. Also, I forgot to acknowledge, you can find this replay over on the Oaklawn Park YouTube channel. Now, the the curiosity about this horse is, and this is not going to be the, the last time this comes up, he gets no points toward the Kentucky Derby for this race because he is trained by Bob Baffert, and we all know the Baffert situation right now with Churchill Downs. There, I, I cannot imagine there's going to become a time, or there won't become a time, where the connections go, what are we doing? Well, I, and I'm not, th this is not meant to be a, oh, well, you know, Baffert did this or did that or didn't do that. I, I don't care at this point. I really don't. But purely from an ownership standpoint, if I think I've got one of the best three-year-olds in the country, which right now, say what you will about New Grange, maybe some people don't believe, he earned an 89 buyer in this race. Again, it's only his third lifetime start. First time he passed horses going a route of ground. And I like the way that he finished. Also, for what it's worth, if you're looking at the finish of the race, he was effectively tied for the fastest finish. And again, he's the only one who's remotely close to the pace that was around at the end. If you're involved with the horse, what, what, what is the plan now? Are you going to wait until you have to run in a 50-point prep, which is going to be the next round? So whether it's the Risen Star, eh, it won't be the Risen Star. I, I take that back. Uh, what's the next race? The Rebel. They both start with an R. What are you going to do? Are you really going to run the risk of this horse not being able to accumulate points toward the first Saturday in May? Or are you going to wait until the final round of preps and know that you're all in? you got to run in the top two or three? Probably the top two to punch your ticket. At a certain point, there's going to need to be a decision made, especially with a horse like this, where I think he's got a great deal of ability. But he, he has no points right now. So he's won a derby prep. I like everything about him. I think the distance isn't an issue for him. And I think he's learning. What are we, what are we going to do? Are we going to wait for a ruling? And maybe, who knows? Maybe everyone involved knows more than myself and the rest of the general public about there's going to be some, I don't know, some change of the, the ruling and Baffert horses will be allowed to run in the derby in the Oaks. I have no idea. But right now, this horse has zero points for the Kentucky Derby. And no, he's not, you know, scoring 105 buyers, but he's fast. At a certain point, there's going to need to be a decision made, right? Or do we want to run in the Derby or don't we? I think anybody that has a horse like this, that has paid what they've paid for a horse like this, granted, he's a little bit on the cheaper side. I say cheaper, 125 grand. I mean, there's going to have to be a decision made at some point. I like this horse a lot. I think New Grange is good. 
He does remind me so much of Authentic. He's not nearly as goofy, but you can see he's still an unfinished product. I'm going through and I'm grading all of the Derby preps and all the Oaks preps as I've done in the past. I'm giving this an eight because if he does end up in the Kentucky Derby or earning points, whatever the next race is, I think he's legit. And I love that now he has shown that he can sit off of a target and still go on with it. New Grange wins the Southwest at Oaklawn Park. He earns an 89 buyer speed figure. He doesn't earn any points toward the Kentucky Derby. Um, but again, that's, that's really the story within the story, in my opinion, for all these horses going forward for, that are in Baffert's care right now. It has nothing to do with Baffert himself, but the fact of the matter right now is none of those horses can earn points. What are we doing? Is he going to stay there in, in his barn and, and not have a chance to run the first Saturday in May? That seems insane to me, but crazier things have happened in this game of horse racing. Let's talk about another performance and a Philly who one of the listeners pointed out a few weeks ago. And I mentioned, I need, I need to see her do a little bit more. She's good. Back here on this camera, because unfortunately when I went through the Southwest, I didn't like the way that the video was recorded. Very choppy. You can't really see much, so we'll just stick it with this. And again, you can find the Martha Washington replay or a cleaner version of the Southwest replay over on Oakland's YouTube channel. The Martha Washington, if you recall, a few weeks back, someone in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube brought up Secret Oath, and they said the coach might have a good one. Earned a 93 buyer, looked fantastic at Oakland. But I said, I'm not trying to totally dismiss. She did it with Lasix first time we've seen, you know, that can be a giant improve angle for many horses. Prior to that, she had run very, you know, I don't want to call them pedestrian. They're slow, 58, 62, 64 buyers, and she jumped up to a 93. I said, let me see her do it without Lasix. She did it without Lasix. I thought she was fantastic in the Martha Washington. The fact that it feels like, I don't want to say she runs like her dad. Her dad is Arrogate. But I think she's just getting better as the distances get longer. And I, I think she's she has that, when I'm watching replays, and I wish I could show this to you and have it not suck, but if you can go through, and if you want to try to time it up perfectly, feel free to do so. The, the real sign, and I've talked about it before, one of the signs of a truly good racehorse and when, again, when I say truly good, I know it sounds like I'm, it's more a matter of separating the grade A types from the, the Bs and the Cs and the Ds, is the ability to run on the turns. If you can scoot around the turns, you have an enormous advantage over the horses that can't. And I know that sounds very basic, but it's not because most horses aren't that fast rounding the turns. The ones who are, and can still kick on, that's when you're dealing with superior talent. For this filly who is parked out in the clear throughout beneath Luis Contreras, I thought it was a perfect ride. If you're on the best horse, don't get her stopped. Keep her in the clear. Let her bring you into it. She basically just cruises all around these horses as they round the far turn and they hit the top of the lane at the quarter pole. And then when he shakes her up, she's gone. Deuces. I'm out of here. I'm watching it right now. He still hasn't really given her a shake. He looks under his shoulder. Then he gives her the cross and she's gone. I thought this was a spectacular performance on the clock. 
it's fast. It's not overly fast, but that's that's probably not the concern with a horse like this right now. She's run fast enough early enough in the year for me to look at her and go, she could be, she could possibly be the one that I've been waiting for. And maybe this isn't Echo Zulu's just gift wrapped done. Because this filly does look very, very impressive. And good eye, whoever that viewer or listener was, I apologize, I'm, I'm forgetting your name. Please let me know in the, in the comment section. Remind us all, you were the one who smoked her out. This could end up being a very good racehorse. Again, I talked about the pedigree last time. It's worth mentioning again. Arrowgate, out of absence minded, she was a big time runner. This filly looks good. And the distance, I think she wants more, not less. She's at a mile and a 16th. I, she ain't slowing down in this race. To put it into perspective, how much faster she finished than the rest of the field. Now, to be fair, optionality, fine. She earned an 85 buyer in a run in the, trape uh, the trapeze. You know, respectable for a, for a late two-year-old. She comes back here. The fractions, I don't think, were off the charts fast. Excuse me. I mean, you're looking at... If anything, they were slow. Timeform US has the, that third quarter. It's slow, blue. She kind of had the run of the race. And Secret Oath went by her as if she were standing still. The, the, the come home time, which for me at this point in the year is one of the more important things to look at. If you're interested in a three-year-old, boy or girl, doesn't matter, look and see how they're finishing. Because if they're not finishing at a mile or a mile and a sixteenth, there's no chance in hell they're going to finish at a mile and a quarter. Optionality, who has the run of the race, she sets fractions according to DRF's formulator product, 2409, 2449, 2592, 3294. The 3294 is noteworthy because it's effectively, it's almost three lengths faster than anybody else in the field. Como squared comes home in 33.5. Optionality comes home in 32.94. Secret Oath comes home in 31.44. Like, Almost eight lengths. That's, that is absurdly fast. And truthfully, when you look at the way the race was run, at the three-quarter mark, she's just over a length and a half behind optionality. At the top of the lane, not at the top of the lane, let's call it at the eighth pole, she's put five and a half on optionality. It was in the blink of an eye. And I'm going to rewind the tape. And again, I would encourage you, if you, for some reason, missed this race, go back and watch it because this is the sign. She's given off every impression now. This is two in a row. This isn't a fluke. She's done it without Lasix. That was my big concern. Yes, she has to do it away from Oaklawn Park, but she's still so lightly raced. I'm not going to hold those other races against her for being slow. I mean, in the blink of an eye, she puts five on the field. She could be very good. She could be very good. Is she... I mean, just look. I love how she quickly just, bang, kicks away. I think she wants more ground, not less. Can't say that about a lot of these girls, and boys for that matter. I thought this was a really good effort from this horse. She galloped out strong. I, I, you know, I maintain this is still Echo Zulu's division. 
But until she shows up and until she proves that she is as good, if not better, than she was when we last saw her, she she has a very legitimate competitor, I think, in Secret Oath. Let me know your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Secret Oath wins the Martha Washington with an 88 buyer speed figure. Timeform US pace adjusted a 103. So again, not overly fast. But this is one where I'm going to let my eye do a little bit more of the, the work than worry about the number. She has run races that are reasonably fast at this time of the year. Visually, she's spectacular in the last two. I think she's, I think she's legit. Maybe the coach does have another big one. We'll find out. Let's wrap up this week's show looking back at the NFL Conference Championship games and the projections that I laid out last week. We'll see how we did and give you a little bit of a taste of what's to come next week when we project... Super Bowl 50, whatever the hell it is, 56 maybe, between the Rams and the Bengals. All right, let's go back and take a look at conference championship weekend in the NFL. The Bengals defeat the Chiefs 27-24. to And for whatever reason, I forgot to bring up the actual games. I had the player projections up. Let's see, what did we have for this one? So I scroll down as everyone loves to listen to people clicking around. I had the Bengals losing 29 to 24. I had one sim that had the Chiefs winning 24 to 23. The Bengals win 27 to 24. Um, there's a part of me that believes that this game should not nearly have been as close as it was. I love Joe Burrow. I mean, I'm I'm all in fanboy whole nine. Think he's think he's the goods. Chiefs had a chance to just slam this thing shut multiple times and they didn't. So I don't, I'm not going to call it a choke, but. Because the Bengals had to go out there and make plays. But boy, it, it's I'm amazed at the number of people that have just done a total, not 180, but that they're looking to the game two weeks from now and saying, you know, loving the Bengals. I can understand liking them, but love is a love is going a long way. I mean, they were down 18 in the first half. That, that's You're not going to come back from that very frequently. Point being... Projection was pretty good, all things considered. No, didn't identify the right winner. The player projections I'm quite pleased with, specifically the the details about completions and things like that. Let's start with Joe Burrow. I had him projected at 23 for 33, 306, two touchdowns, and a pick. He goes 23 for 38. So I had him at 23 for 33, he goes 23 for 38. I had him at 306. He went for 250. I had him two touchdowns and a pick. He went two touchdowns and a pick. So feel real good about that. Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. I had him projected at 26 for 38. He went 26 for 39. That's pretty damn close to being perfect. Uh, yardage, I had him at 302. He went for 275. I had him at two touchdowns and a pick. He went for three touchdowns and two picks. So maybe the stats at the end, eh, not, but they're not terrible. Nearly spot on about the completions and the attempts for both players. Did absolutely smash the completions for both of them. Identified them on the number. Uh, running. I had Joe Mixon at 16 for 74. He went 21 for 88. So a little light on that one. Um, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 11 for 46. He went 8 for 36. Uh, I suppose McKinnon has effectively taken in, and I needed to bring this into consideration, Daryl Williams' numbers, because he's just, I don't know, he may actually be hurt. I, I may have totally missed that. But 
another one there. I had him at seven for 30. Uh, McKinnon went 12 for 65. So he actually is eating into some of those Edwards Alaire carries. I could have, I could have gone deeper than that and I didn't, but uh, guilty. Jamar Chase. I had him statted at eight targets, five catches, 94 yards and a touchdown. Jamar Chase had nine targets. I had him statted at eight. He had six catches. I had him statted at five. He had a, uh, what did he have? He had 54 yards. I had him at 94. I had him at a touchdown. He scored a touchdown. Uh, T. Higgins, I had eight targets, five catches, 86 yards, and a touchdown. T. Higgins had 10 targets instead of eight. He had six catches instead of five. I had him at 86 yards. He went for 103 yards. He did not score a touchdown. There was no way I was going to project Samaj P. Ryan going three for 43 and a touchdown. Uh, on the Chiefs side, Tyreek Hill, I had him statted nine targets, seven catches, 93 yards, and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill had 10 targets instead of nine. He had seven catches right on the nose. I had him at 93 yards. He went for 78 yards. I had him a touchdown. He scored a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, eight targets, six catches, 90 yards, and a touchdown. Kelsey had 11 targets instead of eight. He had 10 catches instead of six. I had him in 90 yards. He went for 95 yards. I had him in touchdown. He scored a touchdown. So the numbers didn't... I, I thought the projections in the grand scheme of things, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but those are pretty damn good. I feel good about the stat projections. And, you know, you're not going to win every game. You're not going to hit them, you know, spot on. I thought the Chiefs number was pretty close, especially... That one sim, and maybe that's what I should have leaned more into, where it had the Chiefs only winning 24 to 23. I mean, that's really kind of what you looked at there. 27 to 24, they lost. So it is what it is. We move on to the NFC Championship game as I drop my pen. I'm back. 49ers and Rams. I had the Rams winning 27 to 22. The Rams won 20 to 17. So they didn't cover the three and a half. Uh, the game went well under 46 and a half. I had it going over. So again, kind of a whiff there. Let's take a look at the stats, shall we? Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. I had him 22 for 31, 284, a touchdown and a pick. Garoppolo went 16 for 30. So really not that close. Well, it's not terrible. Off by quite a few on the completions. The attempts were basically spot on. Had him at 284. He went for 232. He had two touchdowns and a pick. I had him statted out at one touchdown and a pick. Matt Stafford, 26 for 37 for 291. He went 31 for 45, 337. I had him at two touchdowns and a pick. He went for two touchdowns and a pick. So had the back parts of the stats spot on. He threw the ball much more than I thought he would. The only real significant number that I thought there would be from a rushing standpoint was Elijah Mitchell. I had him at 18 carries for 75 yards. He only had 11 carries for 20 yards, so a big whiff there. Um, from a receiving standpoint, I had Debo Samuel, eight targets, five catches, 97 yards. Debo Samuel had seven targets instead of eight. He had four catches instead of five. It's 72 yards instead of 97, and he did have a touchdown, which I did not have him statted at. George Kittle, I had him seven targets, six catches, 72 yards. Kittle had five targets instead of seven. He had two catches instead of six. He had 27 yards instead of 72. Brandon Ayuk, I had five targets, four catches, 53 yards. Ayuk had eight targets instead of five. Hit the nose 
you know, hit the button right there. Four receptions. I had him statted out at four. I had him at 53 yards. He went for 69. Um, so a bit of a whiff all around on San Francisco. Cooper Cup. I had him at 11 targets, nine catches, 124 yards. He had 14 targets instead of 11. He had 11 catches instead of nine catches, which I had him at. I had him at 124 yards. He went for 142 yards. I had him at one touchdown. He scored two, so pretty good there. I did not have OBJ having the game that he did. Nine catches for 113. Uh, Van Jefferson, I had him at five targets, three catches, 51 yards. He, He had five targets, two catches, nine yards. So a bit all over the map there in that NFC Championship game. Not nearly as accurate as the AFC Championship game, but uh, again, projections are just that. You are using the data that you have. They're not going to be perfect all the time, but by and large, I like where my model's at and where my projections are at. We'll dive into the Super Bowl in next week's show. Uh, Again, if you're curious, I've already kind of put out an early projection over on my Twitter handle, at Bernie or underscore Matt, uh, but we'll dive into that in depth next week in the show. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find this program. Again, you all know if you listen to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. If you watch along in the video version of the pod over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie or show, you will get this episode along with the 100 prior. Uh, Until next week. Oh, and if you're curious about picks and other things like that, as always, NBCSportsEdge.com. Uh, You've got hockey, you've got soccer, you've got horse racing over there from myself if you're curious about picks that you can listen to as part of the In The Money Media Network at the end of the week with PTF on the Players Pod. I'll be there as well. Until next Monday when we speak again, best of luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 101 of the Matt Bernier Show.